All right. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to, uh, I don't even know what episode we're on anymore. I think it's 113. Um, I think it's 113. But yeah, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a weekend of actually entertaining football with three games to go in La Liga, I think four in England. It's, uh, we're at the tail end of the season now. We're like, this is where the funny business no longer happens and the real business is about to begin. The unseriousness goes out the window and the seriousness returns. That's in theory. Tight. In theory, yeah, yeah, at least. Yeah. <laughs> in theory. No, that's going to be the title of the podcast, The Seriousness Returns. I like that. Hitting on it early. But thank you guys, as always, for listening. We're uh, back to talk a little bit about the fun things that have happened in England over the last couple of days. Most notably, and probably the game that I thought was honestly super interesting, um, Manchester City-Chelsea on Saturday afternoon. One, of course, Rian. Chelsea fans have had too many wins, like moral wins in the last week. Like we need to, we need to knock you down at least two pegs now. Like you can't go to a Champions League semifinal or a Champions League final, excuse me, and then also beat the team you're about to play in a Champions League final in the Premier League four days later three days later um yeah that sorry that you've you've tipped the entire <laughs> equilibrium of the universe in the wrong direction well, you know honestly i've been i i kind of agree not with the fact that we that that chelsea and their fans need to be um put down a bit but more on the uh, there's been a lot of wins a lot of wins for um for chelsea and their fans in the last couple of weeks and most likely it might all be it might all be leading up to a hammering in the Champions League final but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> even if that happens even if that happens um i think like this past weekend and what we've seen over the last just 4 months of Tuchel's time here is that this team is extremely bright has an extremely bright future and it's that's something that we definitely thought at the beginning of the season and then we weren't so sure about in like mid January, and now we've been reassured again that okay, yes, confirmed, this team does have a have a bright future ahead. And so I think um, this past weekend was just was a very good moral win, very good moral win. I think more importantly, a very good win to make a step forward um, into clinching top four for Chelsea. But all in all, I think. Uh, what's been an encouraging last four months is all kind of being confirmed in these last couple of weeks. It's a beautiful thing. If you are a blues fan in London, where apparently the champions league final is now moving uh, to Wembley. So potentially, potentially, I, I think we're, I think we're still not confirmed yet there. Not yet. It's yeah. if you're, if you're a Turkish fan or if you are a Turkish I don't want to say UEFA official or even just player or any sort of match official that is Turkish. Like how pissed would you be? Like, let me put it <laughs> to you this way. If you're planning on holding, or if UEFA was planning on holding the champions league final in Paris and they say we're moving it from Paris to Munich, wouldn't you be pissed? Like, I feel like there aren't enough people that are like, wait, this is a terrible precedent. <laughs> <laughs> um it's interesting because I, it's really a situation where if it weren't two english teams that were in the final then this probably wouldn't be as much of an issue right like we're, we're seeing that the champions league final might be moved from istanbul to i think the two places that are being considered right now is london and um and portugal I think are the two are the two uh country or sorry two areas that are and, and this isn't considered. this isn't like a COVID thing to my knowledge at least it's just I like I believe it? from the English side I think it is I think it is because uh the UK have Turkey on their quote-unquote red list right now in terms uh... of travel in terms of COVID travel so that seems to be the only reason this is up in the air in terms of the location okay. of the final itself whereas like yeah no you're right any Turkish any Turkish, um, yeah, football fan, or more importantly, Turkish sponsors. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess more important to the, to get to the bottom line, Turkish right. sponsors will be will be very disappointed with this, and uh, and 
we're probably rooting for Chelsea and Manchester City to not go through more than more than we would have thought, honestly. Yeah, for uh, for once, I I agree with most Turkish fans on something, which is that a well, two things: a Galatasaray is probably their best team, and b this final should probably be held in Istanbul. But anyway, neither here nor there. We've gone like on a whole like five minute <laughs> tangent. Anyway, let the Rian. Let's talk about City Chelsea for a second, right? The game over the weekend. Chelsea, of course, beating. City for the second time in a month, not only taking a massive step towards, you know, securing their top four spot. They're now obviously much closer to, to, to being in the top four than they were not about two weeks ago, but even more importantly, and I think I read this out last time, this is, I think Thomas Ducal's second win against Guardiola in a month. And also this beaten like basically every other top manager in the Premier League in the last, what, two months, I think, something like that. And he's conceded a total of one goal, which was arguably should have been two, but, (laughs) I mean, in this game specifically, but some people like to ruin their legacies, I guess. But, again, neither here nor there. I guess my question is, like, thoughts on how important this game is to to Chelsea and, and their morale will start there. And then do you think this is... I guess, an accurate representation of what the Champions League final will look like. I think um, for from a morale sense and, and maybe in a broader sense, like psychologically, what this result might kind of spur on is, I think from a Chelsea side, it's, it's more about confidence than anything else. I, they obviously beat Manchester City in the FA Cup semifinal, in which both teams also came off of were coming off of a Champions League game the week uh, the week of or just a few days before those for the semifinal, and so City rotated more than Chelsea did in the FA Cup semifinal. Chelsea did rotate um, a few names themselves, but City rotated more, and and Chelsea got the better of them that day. And then this past weekend. Again, both teams coming off of the second leg of their Champions League semifinals. City make nine changes to the squad and Chelsea make five, just, which are obviously nine is a significant amount. <laughs> but we should say five itself is also a significant amount of changes to a starting team when there are only 11 players on the field. You're switching almost half the team. And I think it's a big confidence boost for the Chelsea squad and for Chelsea players because one, you know, they're not as established, um, like professional. They're as a whole not established professionally as as Manchester Manchester City's players, and I don't think this loss will have much of an effect on Manchester City's players at all. Um, I think this win for Chelsea has a bigger effect for for their guys, for a team that hasn't been close to Manchester City for almost the entire season. Or, well, sorry, sorry, I would say for most of the last five or six months, right? And over the last month, they have, through their own play, have shown to themselves that they can beat this team and that on any day, I think they've shown that they can beat just about any team right now. Um, and really, uh, it, it's a good, it's a, it's a, big psychological boost for for Chelsea's players um I think from the Manchester City side I think the honestly don't think it matters quite that much to their psyche going going I mean in three weeks from now like three weeks from now you know a lot of things will change possibly like they're gonna win the Premier injured no I mean yeah and they're gonna win think about it yeah yeah (laughs) like yeah a lot of things are gonna happen like City will win the Premier League they're probably from both sides will be players who are not in the same form as they are right now and and maybe one or two will just not be able to play because of injuries whatever right so we know that the game itself the players on the field will probably be much different than what we saw um this past weekend i i think the only kind of like inkling thing that maybe um manchester city fans could be slightly nervous about is this is now like two straight games where Guardiola has lost to this Chelsea team and against Thomas Tuchel. And when we saw this past weekend, they actually didn't play the same 
formation as they did in the FA Cup semifinal. They played three at the back this time. And to me, it felt like Guardiola just just throwing something out there to see if see how it would how that formation, how the way that they played, how it could open up anything against Chelsea more than, you know, him treating that game like a final. Right. I think he was just trying something different. And the only thing that um, the thing that makes me a bit nervous for Guardiola going to that Champions League final is we know how much he loves to tinker and and we know how, how much he loves to put every single second of thought into and every single facet of thought into uh into a soccer game and so does Thomas Tuchel obviously but yeah these are two straight losses now and and I hope he doesn't uh, I should say the Chelsea fan of me hopes that he does do this the more just Guardiola fan of me hopes that he does not make this like he doesn't overthink it for lack of a better term I, I hate to use that with him because he, he's the type of coach who overthinks everything and that's just kind of who he is but it's, it's made him successful yeah in, like the course. grand scheme of things but yes I get your point yeah and, and I just hope that he does not go into that game and do something weird right you mean from, Phil Foden at right back <laughs> <laughs> I mean even something as weird as like playing Aguero or yeah, Jesus yeah. <laughs> like, even something as weird as that something that hasn't been what has made them successful this season um so who knows that's all speculation who knows what this will what this will mean for the Champions League final but again just I think it's more of a morale boost for Chelsea's players more than any sort of boost for even Tuchel or Manchester City's players or Pep Guardiola. I think it's just a big win for for the players of Chelsea. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I don't think it's so much a just moral L, I'll say, for City, because a lot is going to happen in the next three weeks, like you said. Mainly them winning the Premier League probably on Friday against Newcastle. So to say and sit here and say, like, oh, in three weeks they're going to be sulking over this loss still – it's not about that. I think the one caveat to this is that they will they will have in the back of their heads how they've lost twice in a row to this side. And that, I think, will be either a chip on their shoulder or a massive mental block on a come May 29th. I don't know which one it will be. I have a feeling it will be more of a chip on their shoulder, and I don't expect Guardiola to actually be as wildly inconsistent in that game for the main reason behind it being in the Champions League finals that he has played in, or even specifically the semifinals, he has stayed relatively devoted to his game plan throughout the season that's gotten him there. I think what we saw this weekend was him more or less using this game as an opportunity to see, A, what could work against his Chelsea side. Clearly, we found that for large parts of this game, it wasn't just a late goal. It was large parts of this game that they did not dominate and they were overrun in some cases. B, I think a part of it was also like the Aguero factor, you know, just like, let's see if we can get him to win, you know, the Premier League with him on the field. I th- honestly think there was a nostalgic factor about it. But for, for May 29th, this is this is serious business. Like, I, this is what Pep was brought in to do. And... I don't see him tinkering as much as we as we're kind of accustomed to in these knockout rounds because it's one game, you have one shot, it's it's basically do or die for him. I'm not saying in terms of like him losing his job, but like just in terms of being able to win the Champions League or not. Right. And look, Kevin De Bruyne didn't play in either of these two games. Um, that Chelsea played like yeah. that's a big that's like a big factor there um, I think there's some encouraging stuff from this to how Chelsea were able to find spaces with Ruben Diaz in the side from from um, Manchester City but yeah this game turns on on a chip a Panenka a failed Panenka from um, Sergio Aguero where you have to give credit to Mendy as well because he does no, 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 start no, no, no. to dive Okay. No, he, you, he, no he, you have no. You have. I. I think it. I think it would be. It would be crazy not to give the keeper credit there because. Sure. We see a lot of keepers still jump. How many times do we see keepers jump and then come back to the other way? I, it's. Yeah. Like no, I that. get that. I get that. But at the same time, 
you're looking really dumb if he does slot that either side of you and you're just standing there. So, oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's not what happened though. I, <laughs> he didn't just he didn't he yes. jumped to, he did start to jump to the right and then saw that whatever it was, maybe it was Aguero's run up, maybe it was the fact that the ball was not hit with a lot of pace, which I mean, it was the fact that Aguero on, but, slowed down. Like he yeah, just it wasn't yeah. it wasn't a well concealed panenka. It was a bad yeah. panenka. It was a very bad panenka. And honestly, if you're a top keeper like Mendy has proven himself to be, especially this season you're probably going to recognize what a striker is doing it it will honestly yeah. i the second like he was two yards away i was like something's off something is very <laughs> off <laughs> this is not going well no i think i think you're right it's the run-up the run-up was not one of someone who is uh who might try to smash the ball into the net it was right like you're saying it was slow he you could see him the gears kind of turning as he's about to chip try to chip uh, definitely made it easier for for I think Mendy to read, but the game turns on that moment. Could have been two nil going into it. Um, I think there's I think there's a shout for Raheem Sterling at the beginning of the game is his his tackle on Timo Werner that I I think I think in La Liga or Champions League that's a red. <laughs> I, I I do think that yeah, <laughs> like, but no um, <laughs> yeah. At least you could you could if I'm wrong you could definitely let me know. No, you're not. I just, it's funny because I literally had the same exact thought. That's all. <laughs> but yeah. So, so the game really does turn on that, on that penalty and, and um, perhaps city should have only had 10 men at the end of that half. And also perhaps city could have been up to nil and, and the game changes there. And I thought second half Chelsea were really good. And, and I think they, they outplayed Manchester city pretty thoroughly in that second half. Um I know that on, in the XG, it's it. I think City were somewhere around like one point seven, and Chelsea were somewhere around like point point seven or point eight, right? Um, I think one of the the things that sometimes limits like single game XG totals is the fact that that Chelsea had a couple goals in that second half, which were just offside, right? And and granted, I think. Um, Timo Werner was offside a few times in that game. And, and I think the only one I can really criticize him for is perhaps the, the one that was a ball played straight through the middle of City's defense. And he was maybe like a, just a couple yards offside because he didn't come back onside enough. And then the ball was played to him and whatever. He was in so much space and he, and he rounded Ederson and scored. I think in that case, he, he should do better to get back onside for that one because there was just so much space when that ball was played that he didn't, he didn't even need to be gambling necessarily to, to be like right on the shoulder of the defender. But outside of that, you had the Hudson Odoi goal somewhere in the, around the 80th minute where he was offside by, he was genuinely offside, but his, he, but his he knee and very half his foot. Yeah. it was, it was a close one. So it was still timing there and Chelsea could have taken the lead at that point too. So, so those don't register on uh, in the XG model at all because that play technically never happened. All that to say that I think that Chelsea created a fair amount on the break against City in the second half. And at the end of the day, the, there's another Raheem Sterling incident where Zuma, I think Zuma fouls him. I, I, I think it was hard for the referee to see it um, in, the, in, in live play. I, I am surprised that the VAR did not go back and, and reverse it, but... <laughs> Zuma looked uh, like bewildered after it too. It was oh it was God. the funniest thing. He looked so lost, like he had just been hit over the head. And someone <laughs> was like, and he was just like, "What? What just happened?" I what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. He was. It was. A, it was a goofy sequence, which was unfortunate because just a few minutes before that, Zuma had a, an amazing tackle on on uh, Sterling in basically the same position, um, and just handled it a lot better the few minutes before he probably should have been called for a foul in the box but Chelsea keep going and Marcus Alonso ends up scoring the winner in stoppage time does that thing that he usually does where he just crashes into the box and and on most days he's Chelsea's best striker when he does start and I came up with another big goal in a in a, in a big game for Chelsea and Chelsea probably kind of steal two points there I think run of play that game 
probably a deserved draw. Probably would have been a deserved draw for both sides. I thought City were a bit a bit better in the first half. I thought Chelsea was better in the second half, and I think a draw would have been fair. But we know that not every game ends like that, where teams get what they deserve. And and for Chelsea, this was a much bigger um, extra two points than it was for City, because like we said, City are going to win the league. That's going to happen. But uh, for Chelsea, this was a much bigger win for them, um, not just psychologically, as we talked about earlier, but for the table itself, put them into third place. 100%. 100%. Well, Rian, why don't we move on from talking about the inevitable Champions League final towards talking about two teams. Well, one team we probably haven't talked a lot about recently. Um, another we have, Leicester Newcastle. I think this was probably the, the biggest surprise out of the last three to four weeks, I would say, um, in the Premier League. Of course, Leicester taking a 4-2 L. Um, they're now in fourth. They have, God, I, like probably one of the hardest European schedules for like a, a team <laughs> that still has, yeah, that still has like something to play for. You know what I mean? Like they have right. United tomorrow recording on Monday. I think they have Chelsea in the FA Cup final this weekend, right? And then Chelsea in the league <laughs> and yeah. then Spurs <laughs> the following weekend. So very, very tough run of form. And it's not that Leicester can't get points from this. It's just that back to back to back to back wait back to back to back to back yeah Yeah. top six (laughs) games is just brutal for any team for any team regardless of of who it is so do do we think that this is the beginning of the end for uh brendan rogers (laughs) if uh if he doesn't make top four here with putting himself in a position like this i'm just i'm just i I think (laughs) i think job wise he's safe no matter what i um because let's let's take away the champions league stuff for them right now fifth place again a second straight fifth place finish with leicester would be fantastic would be still great work to finish once again above tottenham and arsenal both clubs who spend far more money than than leicester and you throw on top of that too the potential of, of finishing above liverpool this season as well um even if they were to finish fifth Right. Um, I think Brendan Rodgers is is safe in terms of his job, but you're right. A Leicester side, this is getting, this is getting a bit antsy. Um, I think they were given some really good uh, luck over the weekend with West Ham losing to Everton. Um, The gap could have been closed to just two points away from, from them and, and West Ham. And so I, I, I think they'll just be able to stay in the top four purely because of the gap that they have right now. But you said it, they have a massive game tomorrow against Manchester United. Every game now for them is, is, pretty, is a must win, right? Um, especially tomorrow against, against United, right? You lose that and then you go into a position where you could be only a point or sorry, you could be tied on points with Liverpool after, after uh, this upcoming weekend. Right. So tomorrow is the must win for them. And tomorrow will more or less decide their season. I I think uh, in terms of finishing in the top four, they went from a team that was almost a shoe in to finish in, in third, not even, not even just top four, but third. Right. And they are now sitting in terms of 538, they're now sitting at pretty much a 50 50 chance of qualifying for the Champions League. And Liverpool are just under 50% too. So it feels like with Liverpool having a game in hand against them, Liverpool six points back, uh, Liverpool has a game in hand. And so they could move to 60 points um, on, sorry, they could move three points away potentially on Thursday. And, and if they win over the weekend, it could be tied. It's 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 a huge test for for Leicester, and to be honest, they're not getting a lot of production outside of Kelly Kelly Ihanacho right now, who has who has scored I think the most number of goals in the Premier League since I believe January January February. Yeah, yeah I think I, I think it's the beginning of February. Um, 
He's been uh, he's been the best striker in the league since then. I, I think it would be hard pressed to find someone else in the league that has performed better than him in that in that time period. And Bamford maybe, but that's about it. Maybe, yeah, maybe. But but you see what Iheanacho is giving to the team, even in terms of um, chance creation, right? Uh, he scored and assisted their goals <laughs> this past weekend against against Newcastle. He played a great cross to, I believe it was Johnny Evans for their first goal. And then he scored their second goal of the game. And, and he's been doing that a lot recently. And they're missing production from guys like Vardy, who only has two goals in 2021 in the Premier League. That's just, it's not enough. It's not enough. No, no. Especially, he started so well, too. Yeah, exactly. Especially when he started so well. And especially during a lot of this time period where James Madison has been missing and Madison has come back the last couple of weeks and just doesn't look quite up to game speed, doesn't look totally match fit. Um, I think this past weekend he had nine shot creating actions, though. So that's so that's an encouraging sign for them. But he has not looked quite himself since coming back, which is obviously fair for a player coming off a longer term injury like that so yeah it's gonna be as as sir alex ferguson calls it a uh, squeaky bum time for for lesser these next <laughs> this next week and a half yeah wow that that's an <laughs> iconic line i forgot about that um i i completely agree with you in the sense that everything you said about this being very important for lester and obviously being probably the biggest test they've had since 2017 maybe i would i would not say that tomorrow is their most important game though out of their next four i would say that the chelsea game on what is it not that pickup final the one on i guess the I think it's next wednesday yeah next yeah, wednesday next something like wednesday. that yeah that game is for me the most important because a We'll know a little bit more about where Liverpool are because I believe they'll have a game in hand. So you can kind of mentally, at least if you're lesser prepared for that. And then B, you're also playing the team that's above you in third. So how much of an opportunity are you chipping away at almost making it safer for yourself to finish in the top four with a win against someone who is above you and almost giving yourself a little bit of a cushion to get closer to? But I mean, again, the gap between Chelsea and Liverpool is slim but it's not like the same it's not like on the same number of points right it's it it's one point so yeah i I, that's that's all i would say i think there's a it's harder for liverpool on what 57 to get to lesser and it's much harder for for i would say west ham and liverpool so playing again the team that's above you and possibly kind of solidifying almost third place potentially you know that's more of a boost. So that's the only yeah. thing that I would say. But beyond that, I think players like Jamie Vardy, yes, have not stepped up. But I know you wanted to give some love to um, to Joe Willick because the <laughs> six foot one <laughs> Arsenal loney is uh, probably going to stay permanently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see what, what happens with him in Arsenal this summer. It, it feels like he deserves a full season of playing first team soccer probably away from arsenal um I, well away from arsenal because that would be the most likely situation where you could secure those consistent minutes right and with newcastle now securing their place in next season's premier league will it it will probably be great it'll probably be great for him to just stay there be settled the same team over the summer um, we expect Steve Bruce will probably be the, the manager again um, for, for as much as, as uh, I think I criticize him. He, he's done a good job to keep the team up. They've the, the last, I think, month or two, I mean, a lot of it coinciding with, I think, Willock getting more minutes. They've been really competitive against very good teams. And we saw in they, they beat Liverpool. And now this week they come and beat um Leicester at the King Power Stadium which is a, a great win for them but Joe Willock yeah four four goals in his last four games and and just kind of being in the right place at the right time um which yeah it he's is, not a goal scorer yeah he's not not necessarily no he's not but 
but that like kind of ability to sense it to sense the sense smell the role, it. Really smell smell it. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly exactly the kind of that kind of like poacher ability um is not something that you see a lot from young midfielders like that that feels like something that usually comes with experience and time so uh, that's a great sign I think for him in terms of being a long-term Premier League quality player and congrats to him. I, I, he's, he's got it. He has to have secured his spot at least on, on a Premier League team next season and important yeah. for his development, of course. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think that's the biggest thing is that I know there's now rumored interest that Newcastle may make a permanent bid for him. What's funny is I think that Arsenal could probably do with a player like his, of his quality, not, not saying that they don't have players in similar positions to him, but a player of his quality in that position, I think they could do with. So I don't know if Arsenal will bring him back. I'm assuming that they're looking at that situation, obviously, but he's, he's at a good end of the season. He's not going to be in the Euro squad or anything like that, unfortunately, but he is someone I think for what we call the future. So yeah, something to look out for, but Rian, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and talk a little bit about Liverpool, West Ham and Spurs apparently because they're in the hunt for nothing but we'll talk about them anyway and then oh god forbid we have to talk about Arsenal all right ladies and gentlemen we're back we're talking a little Liverpool talking a little West Ham talking a little bit of Spurs like I said god forbid we have to talk about Arsenal Ah, uh, Rian, let's start with Liverpool because I don't know what the perfect analogy is yet. I got to think on it, but there's definitely an analogy or metaphor out there for this team that just refuses to die. Like they're, they're like one of those, you know, those like multi-legged centipede type type bugs that you like have in your basement and you, you definitely, you think you hit it, like you, you smack it and then it just stops moving. You're like, oh, sick. And then it just keeps crawling like two seconds later. And then you got to hit it like four times before it that, that that's the analogy I've been searching for. And I finally found it They're They're still in this top four race. Somehow, somehow they're six points off, but obviously like we just talked about with Lester, they have a very tough run of games and it's entirely possible that they lose two out of their three. So do we, do we think Liverpool are going to be the champions league next season? So, yeah, I think that's a great analogy, by the way, <laughs> um, <laughs> because you're right. We were, we've been ready to kind of write them off two or three times in the last four months, right? Um, and by somehow, some way, they at times have pulled themselves up by the bootstraps and and won a string of games and and found ways to win when they don't play well, which which has not happened much at all for, for a lot of this season for them, right? But the other side of this is teams like Leicester falling back to them, team like Tottenham not ever t- turning it up another gear and, and making a real push for the top four has brought Liverpool right back into a position where it's it maybe it's a big if but if they win their their remaining games this season then there's a fantastic chance that they are in the Champions League next year so I, I get I think that's all they could ask they could have asked for it um honestly like if if we gave a lot of Liverpool fans the scenario where Hey, the last four games of the season, you have if you win all four of them, you're in the Champions League. No doubt. No doubt about it. You've got no chance of getting of um of missing out pretty much. Then they would have taken that, especially two months ago when, when they were sitting around seventh, as they are now, of course, but around seventh and couldn't score a goal at home in Hanfield to save their life. They would take that scenario. And that's what the scenario that they have right now. And it all starts on Thursday, right? With the uh, um, the makeup game, we should say for for the for uh, against Manchester United, which was postponed because of protests last week. It starts with that, and then and then from there, I believe they play Crystal Palace, West Brom, 
and I've got to get the last. I, I forget who they play the last I, game. I also forget the last one, but what I was going to say is those two teams alone are exactly the type of teams that would take points right. from Liverpool. That's the, oh, that's the this thing. season, yeah. That's how it's gone. Yeah, You're right. Yeah, 100%. Like United, yes, obviously, for, for the quality that they have and the form that they're in more so. But, like, we could fully be sitting here in three weeks' time being like, oh, of course Liverpool didn't make the top four because they literally drew Crystal Palace. Like, of course. Yeah. Of course that would happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the third team is, was Burnley. Oh, um, even who, better. Are you kidding? Who we, <laughs> <laughs> who we saw today um, secure another season in, in the Premier League somehow, some way. Um, as uh, as Rion had some pretty pretty angry Burnley fans in his DMs <laughs> after he uh, he very angrily tweeted out that Burnley will be back in the in the Premier League. So don't know yeah. how you uh, how you manage that. Yeah, just like a handful of Burnley fans, <laughs> kind of just kind of trying to to uh, take the piss out of me and, and and more or less gloating that they are back in the Premier League and and I have to just deal with it, which unfortunately I do, but. <laughs> um, <laughs> but from the Liverpool side, yeah, that this is, we wouldn't be surprised at all if they were to go out and draw against an already relegated West Brom team, um, next week, would we like, we really, no, not, a, no, absolutely not. Um, absolutely not. At the same time, if they were to somehow beat Manchester United and win their last three games, we'd also say, wow, well, that should have kind of been the bare minimum <laughs> for them. Like this. This should have happened, um, but it, we know they're going to need a lot of help. And look, all they could do is is win their games and hope for the best. And I, I think that a lot of those players in Jurgen Klopp would have taken that scenario if we gave it to him two two months ago. So from there, Elias, should we move on to the team that sits one point above them? Granted, Liverpool have a game in hand, but um, West Ham. This weekend played at home against Everton and a dominant Calvert-Lewin goal is the only thing that separates two teams and Everton wins 1-0 and West Ham once again without Declan Rice um, are just just didn't have enough to really trouble Everton. Um, West Ham had a lot of possession. They had something like 60% possession, which just doesn't happen with West Ham very much. And, and I think that was always kind of the that was always kind of the thing that I felt like would be their ultimate trip up is playing against a team that is very well organized as most Carlo Ancelotti teams are Um, and playing a team when West Ham themselves have to be the aggressor and have to create chances um, and and can't just do it on counterattacks. Right. And, and I think that's where they, they were always going to kind of slip up because you need a bit more quality in the final third and creativity. And that's just not quite with this team, even with a, a, a godlike um, last three months from uh, Jesse Lingard, even he wasn't enough to, to break past this Everton backline. No, no, he, you, oh my God, he was not, but I, I hate this Ballon d'Or esque talk about Jesse Lingard, but again, neither here nor there. I think what's, What's most important about this result is obviously much more for, for West Ham, but I think, I think it almost shows just how close Everton were to being a top side in England this season. Like it, it, it feels like constantly if, if they had about two or three more players or one or two other things just go right for them. Like this team was really set up at the beginning of the season to potentially make a top four run. And I feel as though at the times when they required the most consistency is when they did not get it. And the times where they didn't necessarily require it as often, they did get it like now where it doesn't really necessarily matter for them. And I don't know if I've seen that so much in a Carlo Ancelotti team where I don't want to say Everton have collapsed mentally because I don't think that's what's happened. But what I think has happened is that they've regressed to the mean in some ways. And that mean is exactly where they're sitting. You know, James aside, Dominic, Richarlison, all of that aside, Everton are not built like a top four side because they don't have, I would argue, more than 11 to 12 players that you could constantly switch out of their their starting 11 and i think that's probably the biggest 
difference between them. So I know I'm focusing more on Everton than I am on West Ham because I mean, no, no, these are both they're, they're both teams that are that are still right. that are still quote unquote in the hunt, right? For, right for a top right. four. So in theory, Everton is, but likely not. And and I think West Ham probably will regret that that not getting at least a point from this just given that Liverpool have a game in hand now they really need to go on uh, like a, a winning streak of some sort because you've got a couple games left only you have three left I think their next three are Brighton uh West Brom and I want to say Southampton right I want, yeah. I want to say yeah Southampton so, at home to end it yeah, that's well. Yeah, again, uh, one that is not going to be easy. But Southampton somehow done terribly this season. But again, back to my point, Everton. I think really are the ones that made a statement for me, and that statement wasn't wasn't necessarily positive, unfortunately. Yeah, um, three losses in their last four games for West Ham. One of them coming against Newcastle, and the, and the other two coming against Chelsea and, and Everton this past weekend. Look, they they have still favorable games to end the season. Um, I, you would expect most teams who sit in fifth uh, to be able to beat Brighton, a, a team <laughs> who's sitting who's sitting in the bottom five. Even though, you know, we, some circumstances for Brighton being down there, obviously, and most of those being the fact that they um, have had Danny Welbeck, a thirty a 32 year old Danny Welbeck be their best striker <laughs> this year. That That's probably the biggest issue, but uh, past that uh, an already, re- already well relegated West Brom and a Southampton team who has won only one game since beating Liverpool back at the beginning of the year where Ralph house and huddle famously dropped to his knees and, and cried a bit. Uh, and then since then they've won one game in the league. So tough look for them, but Again, West Ham, they'll need a lot of help, it's just as Liverpool will need. And they'll they'll be able to look at themselves. And even if they do not finish in the top four, um, or even if they drop a couple spots, even seventh place gets them in the Europa, European Conference League, which would be fantastic for them. So um, I think you still have to give a lot of credit to David Moyes and, and this team in general. And, and I think, yeah, that your European Conference spot will more or less be up for grabs between probably them Spurs and Everton. So all in all, still a good season for West Brom or for, sorry, for West Ham. Yeah. Not, not so much for West Brom, but no, yes, not so much <laughs> for, for West Ham. Yes. But why don't we actually move on to Spurs then Rion? Cause you just mentioned, right. Their, uh, their loss to Leeds. Well, you didn't mention it, but you mentioned Spurs. They're not going to be top four, are they? at all <laughs> no <laughs> um, like it's not gonna be close <laughs> no it it doesn't feel like it will be they're sitting on 56 points with three games to play the best they can get to is 65 points and we know that Chelsea and Leicester are on 64 and 63 respectively themselves so it doesn't feel like they're gonna catch one of those two uh and and it doesn't also feel like Ryan Mason is gonna be the <laughs> the manager again next season either considering the how their last couple games have gone especially the league cup final i mean i mean yeah we 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 talked about that one already but yeah yeah (laughs) that that is honestly that aside he just doesn't have okay i hate using like the managerial experience excuse here but he came into a very dramatic nest or a situation and it's pretty tough to pick up after that. Like you're basically picking up broken pieces. He just came into a, a really bad, bad situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't mean to to pile on him. Too. <laughs> it is his first job in management, and and um, who knows who knows what his future will hold. Uh, and I'm sure that he will like to at least stay on as an assistant coach there um, next season. But but a three one loss to Leeds this past weekend. A three one loss where they. They never really looked. They, they never really looked like they were close to playing on the same level as Leeds as a team, at least, right? Um, I know that Kane had his goal disallowed on another, you know, fingernail offsides, which we have just had to come to grips with and just kind of accept as one of the kind of sad things that are now a part of the game. Um, watching a middle-aged man 
try to draw two horizontal lines as close to each other as possible for what feels like 10 minutes, what usually is still three or four minutes too long. <laughs> and um, and this is, we just this is what to... football has come to, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And this is just what we have to kind of live with for now until until we've got some robots doing it. So kind of praying for the for the machine overlords to take over the game. But <laughs> oh, I, can't, I can't wait till we have. Do you remember that ad with they had like Beckenbauer? It was a Samsung commercial. They had Beckenbauer and the Galaxy 11 coaching <laughs> um, like Messi, Ronaldo, yeah. Falcao, like just a bunch of just great ad money for samsung but that that's about that is it that's what's gonna happen basically hopefully that's the hope um but yeah from a from a spurs side of this it, it leads played wonderfully leads played how leads play every week how they've played all season and what's made them probably one of the three most fun sides to watch um not only just in the premier league but you'd probably say top five or ten most entertaining teams to watch in Europe right now. Um, they they thoroughly, thoroughly outplayed Tottenham, and this is a big summer. This is a massive summer now, and we know that it's probably more likely than not that Harry Kane does stay just because of, you know, the, the cash that's in the market right now that's to, to <laughs> yeah. be able to get him. There's there's not much of it, <laughs> really. And he'll leave, he drives a hard bargain. And, and and that too and yeah the teams <laughs> that probably could afford him are playing in england and that will drive the price up even more and at, at that point we know most most clubs most top clubs are not willing to pay top top dollar like that for a, a 29 year old harry kane who we know is going to be injured um every season so Tottenham have a lot have a lot to deal with this summer and we still have no clue who the manager might be. Uh, a lot of names getting thrown out recently. One of them was Yuli Nagelsmann, who kind of always knew once Hansi Flick was stepping down from from Bayern, that was always going to be an option for him. And and <laughs> and you can't blame the guy for choosing that over this Tottenham team right now. So, dude, it, at this point, just just take our friend Jesse Marsh from Salzburg and uh, <laughs> and bring him over. Well, he's already going to Leipzig. I mean, the, I the pipeline, the pipeline there from, <laughs> is just seamless, seamless in the Bundesliga, honestly. <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, uh, I'll always be uh, a fan of, of, a, of a big team going and getting Grand Potter and, and giving him just some actual good strikers to finish with uh, i think that would be my personal pick but either way there's there's a lot to work to do in the summer from tottenham's side because there are players who are just not good enough who have been on this team for probably a couple years too long and then there are players who are temporary loanees right now who probably won't be back next season anyway so you're you're talking about a lot of um turnover dead, dead weight summer probably oh. from tottenham <laughs> that 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 too no that too i mean <laughs> they need a lot they probably need a lot of turnover to get rid of the dead weight so. right exactly exactly that's how this market in the COVID is working so yes um the one last thing i'll highlight about this game specifically was just the beauty of rafinha's or excuse me rodrigo's uh third goal not the not the second goal but the third goal to seal it all for them was just a thing of beauty. I mean, it was Bielsa ball at its finest, passing through the lines, finding your wingers out and wide, crossing that ball in low and driving it home. It was it was literally like quintessential like Bielsa, and it was just it was beautiful to watch. So that's the only thing I'll say before Rian, we uh we move on to talk about I guess we should talk about United just refusing to give the title to City um, after <laughs> going down to to Villa. And um, is it even worth talking about Arsenal? Is it even <laughs> worth, all, all we'll say is this. Listen, they got knocked out by a better Villarreal side. Aubameyang hit the post twice. Probably should have scored at least a goal. But Villarreal were probably the better side over two legs. Yes, they did beat West Brom over the weekend. I believe it was, what, 2-1. But while they did relegate Big Sam for the first time, the fact that... That's a trophy. It, it, no. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. 
yeah, 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 yeah. It's the little things in life. No, it's not. It's not even that they relegated Newcastle, or I should say, um, like Sam Allardyce for the first time. It's that during this game, I forget who it was, but one of the West Brom players basically was yelling on the pitch, "If we score a goal, they'll shit themselves, and they can actually have a chance." at going on to take points from Arsenal. That's how fragile Arsenal are, and that's how other teams look at them. That yeah. that says way more yeah. to me about Arsenal than it does anything West Brom getting relegated. So I know we, we started with United, but I had to just point that out before anything because Arsenal are just not in a good state. Arguably, they are no longer a top six side right now. Right in the last five years, not quality, not no, quality no, no, wise. No. yeah, not even close in terms of money, in terms of stature, fan base, etc. Sure, whatever. But at the same time, I mean, this team hasn't been quality in five years. They just haven't. Yeah, we. It's not even an Arteta the, the other, thing. We've talked about it. But. Yeah, yeah, we know we we're on the same page. We don't think it's necessarily the coach's fault, right? I, I think. A lot of managers, especially, especially one who has never managed a team before, a lot of managers would have had um, a very difficult time with this team. And frankly, with kind of the power structure at the club, we saw, I mean, the, the manager who knocked them out of the Europa League semifinals, he had a, a terrible time. Um trying to deal with this team right trying to move this team forward from the Wenger era and Ellie and I would both agree that Unai Emery is a very 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 good coach we are very very we are far more sure that Unai Emery is a good coach than Mikel Arteta at this point and, and I don't think that's shade to Mikel Arteta it's just he hasn't been a coach for two years even so it's him versus the guy who's probably going to go down as the best Europa League manager ever, right? Like, I mean, the amount of times he's won, especially if he's able to um, to pull it off against Manchester United in the final, I've just crowned him the king of the Europa League in the same way that we crowned Pep Guardiola the king of the League Cup in England now. So it, it was a really disappointing second leg outside of, of uh, Obama Yang's near misses, right? They, they didn't create nearly enough as a team um, especially in a position where you need to win the game and in a position where they should be so excited that they were even still in the tie because that second leg should have been worse than 2-1. Um, they, they were lucky to even be that close at in the end, honestly. So I, I think it is very disappointing as a whole and doesn't feel like feel like the club has moved forward very much outside of unearthing a couple gems from the academy in, in, in Saka and, and Emil Smith-Rowe, but there, there's no scenario where Mikel Arteta, the Arsenal board, the Arsenal fans would have thought that in his first full season, by the end of it, that the best players were a 19-year-old and an 18-year-old who never played for the senior, never had a, a real run in the senior team until what, December of 2020. Um, they, they, that, that wouldn't have been, that wouldn't have been uh, the most ideal situation. That wouldn't have been a promising situation to be thrown at, um, at Arsenal fans if we were to tell them at the beginning of this year. So there's still a lot of work to do. And I don't know if, Mikel Arteta is going to be able to fix this himself and and it feels like from an Arsenal perspective it's the recruitment's not good enough we know we've, we've said that before and once we're at that level unless Arsenal are producing um mid-2000s consistency in terms of quality players from their academy then it's not going to be enough just to keep bringing through the youth players to take over these positions where it should be um, a more senior experienced players uh, role. Right. So 
there's a lot of work, a lot of work to do. And I, and like we said before, I don't think this is like a things turn around in one year or maybe not even two years, right? This, this needs, this needs like serious, serious work. So I hoping for the best for, for our Arsenal fan friends out there, but um not expecting much. Not ex- <laughs> yeah, as long as long as as long as um, the owners are who they are, as long as more or less like the players are who they are, then it's hard to see how exactly this turns around. And not right, to say that it right. won't, because things change so quickly in, in in soccer. So it's it's just hard to see it again. Agreed. Agreed. I don't, I don't have much more to say on Arsenal because if I do, I'll be in big trouble. So I'll, <laughs> I'll leave it at that. What else have we not covered? Did we cover everything? I think we've covered everything. Uh, some fun stuff happening around Europe. Uh, we're seeing possibly Juventus, not only their <laughs> nine straight Serie A title run, and we also might see them bounce from the, from the Champions League for next season. Likely, likely, likely at this point, point, right? They sit one point off of fourth place with three to go and they're going to need some help, basically. Yep, it's not in their hands. Um, Yeah, especially after losing 3-0 to Milan this past weekend. And in Italy, their tiebreakers are not goal difference. It's head-to-head goal difference, as you would see, as you see in in La Liga as well. Right. Um, Uh, Don't remind me. <laughs> and so that Milan loss is even bigger. They they beat Milan 3-1 in the first half of the season and they just lost 3-0. So they've lost the tiebreaker against Milan there. And so they need even more help. Um yeah, so that's obviously very exciting. And then I think the other thing would be France. Um the league on title race took a big it's, turn this past yeah. weekend. Right? Oh yeah. Um Lil who I believe were one point up going into the weekend, won their game on Friday night. The renaissance from Burak Yilmaz. I don't know <laughs> what to say about this. The 35-year-old Turkish striker who has been amazing for Lille, especially in his last couple of weeks. He's scored some huge goals um, for them, including, I think, a 3-2 win against Lyon uh, about two weeks ago where they were down 2-0 and came back and won that game, and he scored the third. Um Scored another banger uh, this past weekend. I think it's like a 35-yarder. And what was even more huge is that PSG drew um, against, I believe it was Ren. Um, and Kimpembe got sent off at the at the end of the game. So two straight games for PSG where they just lost their heads um, at the end. Obviously very concerning. Very concerning for Pochettino for the most part this is this it feels like a team that yes they they do now have Neymar guaranteed for through 2026 he signed his contract contract extension yuck but <laughs> I know at least it ends the saga we don't have to hear about I know going to Barca ever again Thank I'm God. done with that um <laughs> but even bigger is the fact that Kylian Mbappe hasn't played in the last two weeks, and he's been watching this all from the stands, what this team looks like without him, and they don't look like a a Champions League final contending team. I know they did make it to the semis, but they looked lost without him in just about all, in both of those games against Manchester City's attacking-wise, outside of one half. It is, it is but... a beautiful thing seeing Thomas Tuchel and Thiago Silva in a Champions League final <laughs> and seeing PSG on the verge of not win- winning Liga, getting knocked out by, <clears throat> excuse me, who they, by, oh my God, wait, City. damn, I was going to remember it. Yes, <laughs> getting knocked out by City. I almost said Bayern, but that was last year. Um, and just, oh, it, 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 it makes me a little warm and fuzzy inside. That's all. <laughs> and by the way, I will gladly take Pochettino. Um, at the end of the season, if if they let him go, just throw that. <laughs> he should have waited. He should have waited another six months because, as we'll as we'll get onto with La Liga later in the week, there's there's a feels like a decent chance that Ronald Koeman will not be the coach again next year, and and who knows that could have been Pochettino's job um, if he just waited a bit. But all speculation there. All this to say that there are two great title races still left um, in 
in Europe, in Spain and, and France. And we could be seeing Juve having to go to Czechoslovakia. Sorry, wow, it doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> Czech Republic <laughs> um, next year and playing Red Star, Belgrade. <laughs> oh, that would be the day. That would truly be the day. But man. All right. I think that's everything, Rian. Um, as always, everyone, thanks for wish- listening. Thanks for uh, giving us your support and hope you enjoyed. We'll be back in middle of the middle of this week talking a little bit about what else happened in Spain from this past weekend. TLDR, no one won. Um, literally and metaphorically, by the way. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, Oh, Hazard, the- technically. Nice. Really? You want to go to... It. <laughs> for not not for you or definitely for you but not for for madrid oh my god all right anyway we'll talk to you guys in the a couple of days thanks guys